Hey, it's Gary and Shannon. You're about to embark on yet another great adventure with the Gary and Shannon Show. A reminder, we want you to make sure that you look at the iHeart app and hit the follow button on the Gary and Shannon Show podcast so that you can get updates on what's going on with our podcast. Don't forget to share it as well. Get it? It's adventure music. A lot of this offensive. Gary Hoffman. You're coming to some serious conclusions for a guy that has zero intelligence. Shannon Farron. Gary. We have nothing to hide. Shannon. Shameful and wrong. Gary and Shannon. That's what you guys should be writing and covering. Gary and Shannon. Sorry, I left my headphones all the way over there on the other side of the room, and I had to go get them. All right. Well, Shannon is out today. She's going to start a vacation. Um, the rumors about super gonorrhea will be investigated when she goes to... Uh, she goes to Thailand. So, oh, we'll, you just go home and support your wife. Uh, oh boy! Thought we were going to make sure that never made it to air again. Okay, all right, that's fine. She will appreciate that. I she gets jokes. Um, we uh, we have a big show still coming up today. We have a lot of stuff to talk about, including next hour the uh, Orange County investigation into the Canyon Two fire response. Human error, complacency, there is a chance we could see some disciplinary action as a result of all of this, uh, if you remember from back in the summer. Also, Universal Studios Hollywood is getting in with Netflix later this year. That should be pretty fun. That's that's very, very cool. Have you ever been to Halloween Horror Nights? Um, no. Oh, I go every year. But my son has gone. He loves it. We, we went one time when it wasn't uh, summer. I want to say it was, or I mean, it wasn't Halloween. It was like late January or something, but they had one of the haunted house style attractions there, which was sort of an homage to all of the horror movies. Uh, we made it about 20 feet. And then my wife was like, Nope, that guy touched me. I'm out. Oh, they're not allowed to. I know, which is why she was out. Not going to play by those rules. So she was going to punch back is probably, (laughs) it's better for everyone that she didn't go through. Um, Anyway, so we'll talk about that in the 11 o'clock hour. Swamp Watch coming up at 1230. A lot of uh, stuff going on about Scott Pruitt because of the ethics controversies and and the story about the caravan, the, the, this migrant caravan that was making its way through Mexico. It stopped, but not because of anything that the president said, but it has stopped. Also, a common theme through today's show. We're going to ask this question in the 1 o'clock hour, but feel free to, to tell us any time between now and then. Have you ever found weird stuff when someone dies? As an example, Handel says he found he found a wood because his dad didn't have a fake leg. I mean, he had both legs still attached. Right? So why would somebody have? I would love it if you found anything weird. Mom and dad pass, crazy Aunt Margaret passes, grandma and grandpa, whatever it is. And then when you're the one who is tasked with going through their stuff, you go, wait a minute. Grandpa played for the Washington? I mean, anything anything like that. Whatever weird stuff that you find, 
after someone's death. In the 1 o'clock hour, we'll talk more about that. But at Gary and Shannon on social media, you can send all of that stuff to us. Listen, the Bill Cosby trial, part two, uh, or I should say version two, is underway already. And we are in the process of jury selection. And the juries that have been, the jurors that have been seated for the retrial so far, two older white women, three white men, two of them are younger, one of them's older, one black woman who's a little bit older, one black man who's a little bit younger, all of them who are going to sit through the latest sexual assault trial for Bill Cosby. The first one ended in a mistrial, hung jury. Now, the judge in this retrial has already given Cosby a big boost. His lawyers, it's been ruled, his lawyers can call a witness who said that Andrea Constand was talking about framing a celebrity before she ever went to police in 2005 with allegations about Bill Cosby. The judge also helped the defense paid Andrea Constand in a civil settlement a year after that in 2006. So these, these two things could potentially be good news for Bill Cosby in terms of defending himself against this. The judge ruled in the first case, the first story I was talking about, the judge ruled that Margot Jackson, I think her, her official first name or real first name is Marguerite, but she goes by Margot, that Margot Jackson can take the witness stand this same because he said then that her testimony would be hearsay. Andrea Constand as just a big fat liar about all of this. Now, remember, the detail advances to Andrea Constand. She's like, listen, I don't even like men. I am certainly not going to be doing anything with you. And he's offering her cold medicine and he's offering her some funny little pills that are make, make her feel better. She wakes up and he's abusing her, assaulting her. Andrea Constand's lawyer says this Margot Jackson woman who is now going to be allowed to testify isn't telling the truth. And the judge did, did issue one caveat to the ruling, saying that he may revisit this decision after Andrea Constand testifies. The judge also hinted at a pretrial hearing last week that he might keep the jurors from hearing the prior testimony in a deposition where he said, I was given the quaaludes to the ladies before. But... He did say that he's not going to rule on that until it's brought up at the retrial. A lot of this came uh, while they're doing their ongoing jury selection and all of this, which is interesting because the race card is already being played in this. Cosby's lawyers have complained that the prosecutors struck a couple of white guys from serving on the jury on the basis of race and age. Okay. One of the guys actually said that he thought some of the women coming forward in this hashtag Me Too movement are uh, jumping on the bandwagon. That's the words that this guy used. Cosby's lawyers also used a couple of their strike on the jury, but they blamed, or but they said that the prosecutors excluding two white men would have been racist. How about this one, though? This is the bombshell from all of this pretrial stuff that we've seen and jury selection in the Cosby trial. The first juror picked yesterday said he didn't know anything about the Cosby case. There's only two explanations for that. Number one, he's an idiot. And I'm not sure you want that guy on the jury. The only other explanation is he's an idiot and you don't want that guy on the jury. 
everyone else in the jury pool, 120 people from suburban Philadelphia, 120, all said they knew about the charges against Bill Cosby. And a bunch of them were sent home because they said they'd already formed an opinion about this guy. So it's it's okay to know about the information of a case, but you have to be able to tell the judge, uh, I can keep an open mind and I can allow the defense to present their case. And too many of them just said no. 27 people were invited back for individual questioning today. They're going to try to fill this out uh, with 12 jurors and six alternates. So as of, say, 20 minutes ago, they've got seven, and they need 11 more. So this is going to be interesting also because the Associated Press, a couple other news organizations, said that they are not allowed in the courtroom, which is unusual for a for a, a superior court case like this. It's not a federal court. So... They are fighting that. There is a camera that does show the judge, the prosecutors, and the defense lawyers, but not the potential jurors who are being questioned. They're fighting to get a seat in the courtroom. Right now they can watch from a closed-circuit TV in a different room. They're in the process of fighting to get into the courtroom as well. So it should be interesting because they're going to seat these potentially by today. They could have a jury seated, and we could see opening statements relatively quickly in Bill Cosby's trial number two. All right, coming up. The clear backpacks, Parkland, Florida, the kids at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School have been given clear backpacks, and they're saying it doesn't make a damn lick of sense to put clear backpacks on our backs so that we can't bring guns to school. I I, kind of side with them on this. one. We'll talk about that. Also, your chance to win $1,000 coming up, brought to you by Cutting Dental. You got some wisdom teeth problems? Call Cutting Dental for that free exam. 888-640-SMILE. Keep listening. Your thousand bucks is coming up next. Gary and Shannon will continue. Gary and Shannon, it's Tuesday, April 3rd. Good a time as any to win a thousand dollars. Here's how you can do it. Your shot at $1,000 now. Text the keyword bank to 200-200. You'll get a text confirming entry plus iHeartRadio info. Standard data and messaging rates apply. That's bank to 200-200. Got to make sure you answer the phone. If you win, they'll call you. It might be from a number you don't recognize. Next chance to win, though, is next hour, and you can have your name on the list like Brenda in San Bernardino does. You have a chance to win $1,000 an hour, as a matter of fact, all the way from... Jonesy and wake-up call at 5 in the morning through the first hour at Conway up until 7 o'clock tonight here on KFI. Bottom of the hour, we're going to tell you about that migrant caravan the president's been tweeting about the last couple of days. It has stopped. We'll tell you why it stopped. Uh, I'm not sure it had to do with him, but it uh, definitely has stopped. Well, yesterday was the first day back at school at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School after spring break. And one of the things that has changed about that campus uh, ever since the shooting back on Valentine's Day is security. Security is definitely tighter than it was before. There are Florida State Patrol officers who have been added to the the actual campus grounds on a rotating basis to make sure that the kids feel safe. But one of the things that the school district did was required clear backpacks for the if you're gonna have a backpack at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School, it has to be a clear backpack. 
kids have, a lot of them, the more vocal ones, is this does nothing to ensure pri- uh, safety. All it does is invade my privacy. A couple of things. Number one is this is similar to the school uniform argument. Can you require kids to wear uniforms to school? I love the idea of school uniforms. I think it's a fantastic idea. But my kids, I mean, my kids don't. Uh, My son went to private school for a couple of years, and there were very strict requirements of clothes he could wear, was allowed to wear, et cetera. But at a public high school, I mean, come on. We've also I've seen I've seen hookers in bad movies wear more clothes than some of these girls at, at high school. Uh, but the idea of a clear backpack is causing some ire among these high school kids because they say it violates their privacy. One of the kids, uh, Cam Caskey, is a kid who's one of the you know half dozen or so Marjorie Stoneman Douglas high school kids who has been in the media a lot. He tweeted a photo of his clear backpack full of tampons others said sarcastically i feel so safe right now one wrote starting off the last quarter of senior year right with a good old violation of privacy and somebody says now i can't lie about not having a gun i don't have a massive issue with the school district trying to come up with some way to increase safety on the campus. But if you look at what we do, I mean, you and I, what we do when we go to an airport now, we're still taking our shoes off, all right? 17 years after somebody tried to blow up a plane going into Miami by lighting his shoe on fire, we are still taking our shoes off. I don't think this does anything to make these kids feel safe. The guy who did this, the guy who shot up their high school, did not bring his gun in in a backpack. It was a big duffel bag. And by the way, do you know what's still allowed at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School? Big duffel bags. Now, he may not be able to, you're not going to have a student or a former student be able to get back on campus without being caught at least watched by law enforcement officers that now circle the school. But putting clear backpacks on these kids' backs does nothing except, as we've seen in the last couple of days, give them a new way to protest what you're doing to them. Look up clear backpacks on Twitter. It's full. It's literally hundreds of images of these clear backpacks with notes written on them. Like, the only thing... uh, the only thing that makes me feel safer is uh, lo- letting everyone see my maxi pad. There's even little orange price tags on them. I don't know if you've seen these pictures. There's a little orange price tag. It says $1.05. Someone figured out that when you take the 3.1 million students enrolled in Florida schools and divide it by the $3.3 million that Marco Rubio supposedly received from the National Rifle Association, it comes out to $1.05 per student. And their argument is, or their statement is, that's what their life is worth to Senator Marco Rubio. A little bit ridiculous, but makes a point. 
All right, we come back. Migrant caravan has stopped in Mexico. We'll explain why and what the president's tweets may have to do with it. That's all coming up next on the Gary and Shannon Show. There is a chance the president is hosting some leaders from Estonia, I believe, at the White House today. So they're going to do the usual news conference, joint news conference. Um, actually, I think there's two or three people up there. So Estonia and some other places. We'll keep an ear on that because the president has been talking about Amazon once again. He tweeted this morning about Amazon, also about this caravan of people from Honduras making their way through Mexico. We'll get into some of that in just a second here. But when the president makes some comments, we'll listen in and see if we can get some. I just saw uh, breaking news that a U.S. Marine Corps Harrier jet has crashed in Djibouti. The pilot ejected, but they are saying that the status of that pilot is unknown as of this time. Uh, Also, big deal coming up today. Special elections today in in three state assembly districts. And all of these three are very important. We'll talk about that. And a reminder that... In the 1 o'clock hour, we're going to talk about dead people's stuff. Have you ever had to go through a dead relative or a dead friend's, their belongings after they passed away and found just something weird? Um, I'll tell the story of what I found in a, a home that my family owns uh, that may have a connection to a very dark part of history. That I don't know. Oh, and I also found a picture one time of a severed head. And then my parents have no idea where it came from. It's a little tiny picture, maybe about four inches square. And Newspaper clipping? No, no. An actual photo of a severed head. And I, nobody knows where it came from. There's oh. a date on the back of it. I want to say 1927 or Halloween? 1929. Not Halloween. Oh, God. Not Halloween. Some rural area, dirt road, cornfield, something like that. And a severed head. It just suppose, first of all, I don't know if it was a relative. I don't know who took the picture. I don't know if somebody found it and just kept it and said, hey, here's a picture of a severed head. That's a weird thing. If you've ever found anything weird like that going through uh, dead people stuff, let us know. Uh, at Gary and Shannon. You could send us emails, whatever it is. Describe what it is that you've seen. All right. Uh, the president came out with a, a tweet yet again today. Tweet, tweet, tweet. What do you think he just tweeted? Sit back, relax, and enjoy my tweets. The big caravan of people from Honduras now coming across Mexico and heading to our, quote, weak laws border had better be stopped before it gets there. Cash cow NAFTA is in play, as is foreign aid to Honduras and the countries that allow this to happen. Uh, Congress must act now. That follows uh, another tweet that he gave uh, or that he sent out yesterday talking about Honduras, Mexico, and many other countries that the U.S. is very generous to send many of their people to our country through our weak immigration policies. Caravans are heading here, must pass tough laws and build the wall. Democrats allow open borders, drugs and crime. I have to read this to you because this is the way this story has been covered. There are about... 1,100, 1,200 Central American migrants who have been making their way through Mexico to come to the border. The way this has happened before, this is an ongoing thing every year about this time in the springtime. There's a group that that comes together, a group called Pueblo Sin Fronteras. That's pretty good. You're welcome. Yeah. 
uh, Town Without Borders or Towns Without Borders. And they put together this march because they need to sh- they want to show people that we should all live in a place sin fronteras, without borders. I'm blowing you away with that accent. I, I am. I am. Yeah. Uh, here's the thing. <laughs> You, uh, I don't know of any time in the history of us, and I don't mean U.S., I mean humans, where we haven't had some borders of some kind. It's what we do. What they have done, though, local officials throughout Mexico have offered these people lodging. Now, this is I'm going to read to you the second paragraph of a story from Reuters that describes this thing. Local officials have offered lodging in town squares and empty warehouses or arranged transport for the migrants, participants in a journey organized by the immigrant advocacy group Pueblo Sin Fronteras. The officials have conscripted buses, cars, ambulances, and police trucks, but the help may not be entirely altruistic. This is the silver silver lining, the dirty, nitty-gritty lining in all of this. Rodrigo Abeja is an organizer from Pueblo Sin Fronteras. And he says, they've been helping us, but in part to speed the massive group out of their jurisdictions. Did you hear that? You hear what we're saying here? Even the Mexican government does not want these people walking through Mexico. And he even said that the president's tweets about this caravan have been putting pressure on local authorities in Mexico to stop the caravan. In fact, the government issued a statement late yesterday, of the Mexican government, saying it was committed to legal and orderly migration. Don't forget, these people, the vast majority of them, would not be allowed to stay in Mexico. The government said, this again, the Mexican government, in its statement... Participants in this caravan are subject to an administrative migratory procedure. 400 have already been repatriated to their countries of origin. So, again, again, you we're arguing about how rude and onerous and unfeeling our immigration policies are, right? Mexico has already picked up 400 members of this caravan and shipped them back to their own countries. Those without permission to stay in Mexico or those who fail to request permission through the proper channels will all be returned to their home country. But we're the bad guys. Now, the president had come out and said that he does want the military to come in. He wants to deploy troops along the U.S.-Mexico border until a wall is built. We're going to be guarding our border with our military, he says. That's a big step. He's talking, again, during this uh, this White House session with leaders of Estonia, Latvia, and Lithuania. He says we cannot have people flowing into our country illegally, disappearing, and, by the way, never showing up for court. You know the one thing that I think that he's missing out here? He he mentions this, but it, but it, always, gets, uh, it always gets lost in some of the other large generalizations that the president makes in the context of our opioid crisis where do you think our heroin comes from it doesn't come from covina it doesn't come from fresno it doesn't come from a place like poughkeepsie or buffalo 
or Omaha, where do you think our heroin comes from? Where do you think the women and children come from that are sex trafficked throughout the United States? Where do you think they come from? Some of them come from here. But there's a there's a a whole altruistic reason to control immigration along the border. It's not just to keep the bad guys out. It's to prevent good people from getting into bad situations because they don't have the resources to keep themselves out of those situations. Again, these then and what I think is the the perhaps the craziest part about this caravan is that it's being touted as some great positive altruistic thing to bring attention to the to the migrant worker who has become victimized in traffic. But wait a minute, Mexico, even Mexico is saying, hey, we're going to give you a pretty short rope here. You guys start messing around. We're going to ship you home right away. I don't care what political thing that you're trying to do. I don't care if Pueblo Sin Fronteras is bringing attention to this immigration issue. We'll kick your ass out of here if we don't like it. And they've already done that. 400 people, again, already been repatriated to their country of origin because Mexico's very strict immigration laws are being, careful, they're being followed. Whoa, it's crazy. We have a a good story about driverless cars. Uh, Despite the fact that they're running people over in other states, California has started accepting, uh, accepting applications for driverless car permits. So I guess that good should have a question a question mark at the end. Yeah, yeah, good, good, I guess. Good. Did it good? Gary and Shannon will continue. little bit later in the show, we're going to talk about this uh, the special elections going on today. Three assembly candidates facing voters in special elections, forced by the uh, hashtag Me Too stuff. But I wanted to bring this story to your attention. It's, I, know, I haven't seen red light cameras around here for quite a while. When I first moved here, they were everywhere. They're everywhere in Florida. But, yeah, and we went through this whole thing about whether or not... you. They were legal and who was getting the money and why the red light camera people were making all kinds of money and the the local governments who had put them up were not. I mean, so we went through this string, I want to say five, six years ago, a string of stories where all of it was corrupt. I mean, it was just it was a huge moneymaker for everyone involved. And we were the ones getting screwed, although we were the ones also breaking the law by running the red light. You know, we'll look past that for now. But listen, this is they're now changing the way they're going to do this up in the Bay Area. They are using camera systems to count people inside vehicles in the carpool lanes. No tickets, no warnings, not yet, at least. But I love that they say it could change if transportation officials are convinced that the technology is the next generation law enforcement answer to growing number of scoff laws who uh, use carpool lanes to shave time off of their commute. You know how much a carpool violation ticket costs up in the Bay Area? $500. 
for you sneaking into the carpool lane when you only have two people. By the way, there are also in the San Francisco Bay Area on I-80 specifically, you have to have three people in a car. Two isn't enough. you got to have three. In recent months, CHP has gone out there and they have increased their enforcement. They said that they have dedicated strike teams working overtime shifts to catch cheaters, but it hasn't solved the problem. The lanes are created to move at a decent clip, sometimes just as slow as all the other carpool lanes. I know a lot of times when I'm out on the 210, the carpool lanes mean nothing. I don't see a lot of cheaters in there, but the carpool lanes mean nothing. It's going to go just as slow as everybody else. So the camera technology being tested comes from one of three different firms with systems that the Metropolitan Transportation Something Commission, I think it is, has decided to look at. All three of them say that they have automated systems that will take a picture of the car, that will accurately count the number of people in it, and then send a a citation to violators. And all three of them will be tested, and then they're going to go through and pick which one they think is the best. And by the way, the... It could change is total BS. They're going to make money on this. They're going to make pant loads of money on this once they get to it. But there are people who think that this is an invasion of privacy. I, I don't know. I don't think it's a. I don't think it's an invasion of privacy. I think the bigger issue is do carpool lanes work? Period. Not whether or not people cheat, but do carpool lane do they work in terms of lessening traffic for anybody other than you people who have got two or three people in the car every time you go to work. There was one time in Seattle when I totally blew through this. Because I'm a, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a rule follower. I don't think that surprises anybody. I'm a rule follower. I stay out of the carpool lane unless I got a couple of people with me. That's just the way I do it. I don't need to run the risk because my luck is also horrible. My luck is I'm going to look around and make sure there's no CHP officer in anywhere in eyesight. I'm going to pull over in that carpool lane and zoom past traffic. And what am I going to do but probably run smack into the back of a highway patrol cruiser? That's my luck. So I'm a rule follower. In Seattle one time, I was late for an appointment. And I was driving a car. My son was maybe nine months old. So we had the car seat in both of our cars facing backwards. That's what you're supposed to do, right? And I get on one of those exits, one of those uh, transitions from one freeway to the other that is strictly carpool because the regular lanes were jammed up. There was an accident or something. It was going to take me 20, 30 minutes to get through that interchange where if I took the carpool lane, it would have taken me 20 seconds. Finally, I make the decision, butterflies in my stomach at all. I pull over to the left, get on that transition ramp, get up and over, and down at the bottom of the ramp was a Washington State patrolman standing outside of his car, looking back up the ramp, and he's got a good quarter mile of of just straight ramp. I'm just driving straight at him. He can look at me for 10 minutes probably and count how many people are in my car. There's one. It's me. What do I do? I reach behind me. You hit him. No, nope. just kidding. I reach behind me, and I grabbed a toy. Oh no! From the ki- I mean, there's there's toys all over the because it's you know sometimes the boy is in the car with me, right? So there's toys back there. I reach back and I grab a toy, and I dangle it over the car seat like I'm trying to entertain a child. 
because that counts as another human being when you're in the carpool lane. So I make eye contact with this state patrolman as I drive by him while I'm shaking this thing over the car seat behind me. And I swear I did not take my eyes off of that state patrolman for probably two miles down the freeway. Terrified that he was going to see through me. And not only was he going to give me a ticket, he was going to ridicule me for coming up with such a horrible way to try to cheat the system. I was sweat. I sweat for four hours after that, knowing that they were going to come get me. He never, never did. He didn't even flinch when I drove past him. Didn't even flinch. He probably was a young father as well. So that's what happens. All right. Governor's race. There are, we're not going to talk about the big ones. We're not going to talk about Gavin Newsom and Vera Gosa and John Cox and those guys. There are 27 candidates for governor. And we're going to introduce you to some of the uh, the lesser-known personalities that want to rule our state. That's all coming up next on Gary and Shannon. Back when we were kids. When we were kids. Gary and Shannon. It's Tuesday, April 3rd. Shannon's on vacation today. I know. Somebody joked. You should call it the... Gary and Shannon's on vacation show. Come on. Give her a break. She's um, allowed. She is allowed. She was working seven days a week for most of the fall. So yeah. I don't have a... And football season is a coming. It is a coming. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> some of the, she's not sick either. Although, could you imagine getting sick with super gonorrhea? Thank you. Put a condom on. The second Cosby trial is getting started today. They're doing jury selection. They have, I think, seven jurors seated. They need 12 jurors, six alternates before they can start all their testimony. Uh, Also, we'll talk about special elections. Three assembly districts have special elections today. And in the 1 o'clock hour, we're going to talk about dead people stuff. We've already started getting some great messages about people who have found weird, odd revealing things about their dead relatives once they go through their stuff as they pass away. You never knew that grandpa had a fake leg. Stuff like that. Um, We're going to talk about that in the 1 o'clock hour. So if you have one of those stories, we'd love to hear it. You could send it to us uh, at Gary and Shannon on social media. You can email us, whatever it is. All of that. And a special note, tomorrow, tomorrow on the Gary and Shannon show, stand-up comedian, actor Louis Anderson is going to be here. Uh, I am a huge, huge fan of Louis Anderson, specifically the work that he's done on baskets recently. Um, Anyway, so we'll talk with Louis Anderson tomorrow. You all know the polls about the race for governor. Governor Jerry Brown is going to shuffle off this political mortal coil and move on to the great pasture of wherever former governors go. And... You know that the people who are running to replace him, the I guess that's five or six biggies. You got Gavin Newsom in first place in the polls right now. In second place is John Cox, third place Antonio Villaraigosa. And then you got the three others like Travis Allen, you've got Delane Easton, you've got John Chung sort of withering in the single digits in some of these polls. But that's only six. There are twenty seven candidates running for governor during the June primary, according to the list that was published by the Secretary of State's office last week. And one of the interesting things about what we do in California, the way our laws are written, the Secretary of State requires that when you 
are listed as an official candidate for one of these statewide offices, you have to use your current occupation when you tell people what it is that you do. Uh, That has been sort of a bugaboo for former mayor Antonio Villaraigosa because he can't say he was the former mayor of the city of Los Angeles. He can't even say he was the former assembly speaker for the state of California. He's got to say that he is a a public policy advisor. And that's actually written in there. Public policy advisor. Now, that could give John Cox an advantage, for example, because he is described as a businessman slash taxpayer advocate, which is a a whole lot more of a pointed description than public policy advisor. Some candidates like Governor, uh, sorry, Lieutenant Governor, uh, hoping that wasn't predictive, uh, Democratic Lieutenant Governor Gavin Newsom, he can add a second descriptor because, by the way, he happens to be the lieutenant governor currently. So he can write lieutenant governor slash businessman. And if you look at this, some elections officials say that's going to send a message that the voter needs not be so negative about Gavin Newsom because, sure, he may be an incumbent, but, hey, he still has some business ties, too. I love that the spokespeople for Villaraigosa are saying that they're pretty confident. They're going to see Villaraigosa. They know the name, et cetera. If you're in San Francisco, you probably don't know the name Antonio Villaraigosa. Or if you do, you couldn't tell me why you know his name. You couldn't tell me that he was a former mayor of the city of Los Angeles. You couldn't tell me that he was a speaker in the state assembly. But I get it. California political wonks, I mean, those people who study our state, for the last probably 25 or 30 years, it's just become entertainment for them. There are some very simple, easy descriptors that go along with the 27 candidates running for governor. And then there are some that are crazy. Uh, You've got Robert Davidson Griffiths, entrepreneur, economist, Father, written down as his current occupation. John Chung, California State Treasurer. Thomas Jefferson Cares, blockchain startup CEO. I already mentioned Antonio Villaraigosa, public policy advisor. Um, Peter Liu, it just says no ballot designation. (laughs) Josh Jones is an author. Nicholas Wildstar is a recording artist. We have a graphic artist. We have a virtual reality manager. That's not a thing. Running for governor. A senior software engineer, a marketplace minister, a couple of business owners, etc. But here's a good one. Environmental organization executive. What about require uh, research clinical psychologist? Mm, I got to tell you, though, the one that I think wins. Nope. Uh, I got two of them here. Zoltan Istvan is running on the libertarian ticket as an entrepreneur transhumanist lecturer. Transhumanism, for those of you playing it along at home, 
His way of thinking about the future that is based on the premise that the human species in its current form does not represent the end of our development, but rather a rather comparatively early phase. We're still changing, people. And Zoltan is going to be our leader. And then finally, uh, only in California, running on the Green Party ticket, Christopher N. Carlson, who lists his current occupation as puppeteer slash musician. We're doomed. When we come back, more about the special elections going on today and why it is they're so special, what it could change about the legislature in Sacramento. Also, your chance to win a thousand bucks coming up, brought to you by Cunning Dental. You got wisdom teeth problems? Give Cunning Dental a call for a free exam. Triple eight six forty smile. Keep listening, we'll tell you how you can win. How about that? They were feeling like Gary and Shannon, boy, some of these are fantastic. I want to read to you. Well, we have a thousand dollars to give away, and then I'm going to read to you one of the things that was found after death. We're talking about dead people stuff in the one o'clock hour. First, a grand. Your shot at one thousand dollars now. Text the keyword WIN to 200-200. You'll get a text confirming entry plus iHeartRadio info. Standard data and messaging rates apply. That's WIN to 200-200. If you do win, they will call you probably from a number you don't recognize. you got to make sure you answer that call if you're going to win that $1,000. Because if you don't answer, they'll move on to somebody who will. Mark in Grand Terrace was one of those who answered the call. And he is $1,000 richer. You have a chance to win 1000 bucks one hour from now. And then an hour after that, then into the John and Ken show. In fact, from 5 a.m., Jonesy and Wake Up Call, all the way through the first hour of the Conway show, given $1,000 an hour from KFI. All right. We're going to do a story in the 1 o'clock hour about the weird things that you find after people die, sort of revealing things. I mentioned the picture of a severed head that that I found one time uh, in some of my grandparents' belongings. And there's another story I'll tell you later about why we may have had a connection to the darkest period in human history. But Adrian writes, my boss's brother died. We found he was a hoarder of porn everywhere. She wrote everywhere twice. And a small meth lab. <laughs> so what's the, what are the crazy things that you have found when cleaning out after someone had passed away? All right, we're talking about politicians and the upcoming primary election in June. Today is also a primary. Polls open until 8 o'clock in three assembly districts. You've got uh, 45, you've got 39. Um, There's the other one, 35, 45, 39, and 54. That's what it is. So each of these three could be an indicator of the way things are going to go in June. You've got all three Democrats that are out in these districts because they're I mean, they've been heavily Democratic districts anyway for a while. So it's not that's not a surprise. But Raul Bocanegra, if you remember from the 39th district and Matt DeBobney from the 45th district, they resigned their assembly seats late last year because there were multiple women that accused them of sexual misconduct. They just they, they're out. And then in the 54th district, you've got Sebastian Ridley Thomas, who cited some health problems uh, and resigned from the assembly at the end of last year. So these special elections today 
are to choose who will take over for those three guys. It's important to remember that if any one of the candidates in these special elections, if any one of them today receives more than 50% of the vote, he or she is going to be sworn in right away and serve until December. If not, if you get uh, nobody gets that 50%, then you get the top two in whatever returns, and they'll advance to the runoff, which would be June 5th. So this is important because this could change the face of the legislature. Obviously, Democrats have had a supermajority for some time or flirted with that supermajority for a while. And that's why, depending on your political uh, bent, that's why our taxes, like our gas taxes, have been uh, punching us in the face on a repeated basis. So in the 45th District, for example, West San Fernando Valley, like uh, Calabasas, West Hills, Winnetka, that kind of area, there are eight people trying to take Matt DeBobney's seat. Heavily Democratic. Six candidates are Democrats, okay? There are two Republicans. Well, there's a Republican and an Independent, but one Republican is a 19-year-old CSUN student. And the other uh, Independent candidate is Dennis Zine, the former L.A. City Councilman. You hear him on Conway Show all the time. He actually announced that he was going to withdraw from the race last month, two months ago, but said if he is elected, he would serve. It would be his duty, he says. But if you've got six Democratic candidates all eating away each other's numbers and one Republican on the ballot, there is a chance that that Republican 19-year-old college student at least makes it to the runoff in June, right? Justin Clark is his name. In the 39th district, you got the northeast part of the San Fernando Valley, Arlita, Pacoima, Sun Valley, that kind of area. Six candidates there running to replace Raul Bocanegra. And five of them are Democrats again. I think you're going to see a lot of this, especially when we get into the primary in June. But you're going to see multiple Democrats trying to run for these spots. And this is one of the problems that is going to plague the Democratic Party and makes a a Republican uh, stronghold. It lowers the chances that Republicans lose seats in Congress coming up in November. Because if you've got all of these Democrats eating away at each other's votes, then you have Republicans. If there's one Republican candidate, like there is in the 39th District, Ricardo Benitez, then maybe he comes out on top. Even if it's just, I mean, just do the math on this. Even if Ricardo Benitez only gets 13% of the vote, but these other five candidates have eaten away at each other and somebody gets 12%, to be the top Democrat, then you've got two, the top two vote-getters would move on to whatever uh, primary would be in June. And then the 54th district, West L.A., West Side, you've got four candidates riding, uh, running to replace Sebastian Ridley Thomas, three of them Democrats once again, and one Republican, a small business owner named Glenn Ratcliffe. It is expected in, in all of these that... One of the Demo- it's expected that one of the Democrats would win the seat eventually. But it definitely changes the texture, the tenor of the campaign if none of them gets that 50% of the vote today and they have to run against a Republican in the June primary. Because if you look at just the math of what goes into a special election like this, these tend to be older whiter, more conservative voters that go to special elections like this. This is the only thing on the ballot. 
they're going to be people who are directly impacted by this election. They might be public employees. They may be people with with a stake in issues in the legislature currently, but they're not necessarily going to be people who are voting because of the hashtag MeToo movement. And that's important. I think it's highly unlikely anyone's going to get more than 50% of the votes and be sworn in right away. More likely that each of these three state assembly districts is going to have yet another uh, vote in June to figure out exactly who it is going to replace these three outgoing members of the assembly. Or outgone, outgoing, outgone. We come back. We're going to look into this investigation into the Canyon 2 fire. There were multiple problems, and now... People could lose their jobs as a result of that fire. That's all coming up on the Gary and Shannon Show. Just like Gary and Shannon. Well, if you're looking for uh, something to do to kind of pass some time right now, you got to get up into this uh, baby animal bracket that we're doing. We're down to the final four. You can believe that. The final four of the baby animal bracket. Ducklings, hedgehogs. Hedgehogs? Hedgehogs? Is that how you say it? Is that a new animal? Hedgehogs. Oh, okay. Giraffe and goat. <laughs> Come on. That is a strong. That baby goat is cute. That is a strong final four. Um, wow. My, we were, my final animal's not even in there. We were watching Channel 5. We were watching KTLA this morning, and they were doing, like, pinup poster girls with goats. <laughs> yeah. That's about what it is. Hey, uh, the story that you were saying that they were on the lookout for this car, do you have the description of that car once again? That's um, an amazing story. Where they're saying, they're saying that there's a baby in the back seat of this car? Yeah, uh, 11-month-old Um, the Yeah, 11-month-old boy, and it was reported at about 10 this morning. The car's a white 2001 Infiniti G20. It has a spare on the right side, and the license plate number ends in 433. A white Infiniti G20 with a spare on the right side. Yep. Okay. Uh, yeah, they're looking for the stolen car, 11-month-old baby inside. Yeah, around Van Nuys around 10 a.m., but it could be anywhere at this point. Wow. All right. Well, we'll make sure that we get that description out there a couple of times again. Um, the top of the hour, we're going to do all of what's trending, of course. And then in uh, in Arizona, I don't know if you've ever tried to wake up a teenager. I have. I've never used a taser, <laughs> but there's a mom in Arizona who did just that. So um, we'll explain all of that. In Orange County, the Orange County Fire Authority has released a report on the Canyon 2 fire. And the county alone, the county itself, is going to issue a separate investigation into a a report that calls for some of these Orange County Fire Authority employees to actually be disciplined. They said that this uh, this 80-page report came out that the Canyon 2 fire was full of, or I should say the response to it, was full of human error and potential complacency, which is a terrifying term when you're talking about first responders. Uh, the findings present, quote, an important case study in how miscalculations and missteps in small but critical areas can result in significant damage to a community. All of this is the 
follow-up on the fire that burned in October of 2017. Uh, Fire personnel essentially ignored early reports of flames on October 9th. But this report by the county and OCFA, both of them, say that the fire officials were too slow to send equipment and personnel to fight a fire that then burned for eight days. 9,200 acres were destroyed. 15 homes were destroyed and 10 other structures. And you're talking about thousands of people in that North Tustin, Anaheim Hills area that had to be evacuated out of the way of this fire before uh, assuming that it was going to jump into the neighborhoods and destroy even more houses than it did. But they said that there were two very specific things. There were two things that they blamed this fire on, the response, the, the complacent human error response. OCFA, Orange County Fire Authority officials, downplayed a report of flames in a canyon at 8.32 in the morning. In fact, they said that it was a 911 caller who said that there were flames that appeared in this canyon 8.30 in the morning. And again, this is the Canyon 2 fire. If you remember, just the week before, there was a previous fire there. So everyone was on a high alert to begin with. Instead of following protocol after that 911 call of the original flames at 8.30 in the morning, which would have required sending people and equipment to the scene just in case there was, in fact, fire, they directed firefighters at a station more than a a mile away to do this, to look out the window and see if they saw smoke or flame. Those firefighters reported the flames simply as wind-blown ashes. So OCFA dispatcher tells highway patrol officials who took the 911 call that fire reports were unfounded. So that was 8.32 in the morning. They didn't deploy firefighting equipment for another 71 minutes. The county's report goes into a, a lot more. That's not That's not the only thing. The county's report says that there was a fire dispatch supervisor unaware of the wind conditions. In fact, they use the word surprisingly unaware of wind conditions that prompted the agency to issue the red flag warning for October 9th. In response to that original call, the 911 call, where guys looked out and said those are probably just wind-blown ashes from the previous fire, a CHP dispatcher told at least 10 911 callers who had said, hey, I think I see smoke or flame in that canyon a CHP dispatcher told 10 911 callers that there was not a fire. And that prompted the CHP not to forward any of those flame calls back to the fire authority. During the county's investigation of the fire response, highway patrol officials supposedly impeded the probe by keeping key documents away from them witness statements that weren't turned over to the county. CHP hasn't commented when the OC register called them. They said, man, we're just going to, I have another call. There were six reports that came from other firefighters and park rangers who said there was active fire in the canyon, not billowing ash. So you have at least, you have at least, that's 17 reports that there was fire that morning in the canyon. Whether it was 911 callers to the CHP or other firefighters or park rangers 
who are on the lookout for this, of course, because like I said, this area had burned previously, areas right next to this. They determined that the canyon was on fire at 943 in the morning. Again, that's an hour and an hour and 11 minutes after the original 911 call came in. The Orange County Fire Authority failed to alert some other emergency agencies for up to 44 minutes. This is a difficult, horrific situation to kind of wrap your head around. Because in October, you know in Southern California we're going to get incredible fire danger conditions. High fire danger warning. The red flag had been put up for October 9th. And even after areas adjacent to this Canyon 2 fire had burned previously... There were people saying that they believed that this was not an active fire, that it was was simply ash billowing from the previous fire that was causing people to believe that there was active fire, but that there were 17 reports, 17 individual reports at the very least of people saying, I'm pretty sure that's a fire. The Fire Authority Battalion Chief said the agency's reviewing an investigation on how the dispatchers responded. They would take any and all corrective action that was necessary. The after the fire authority was a report was issued, the acting chief for the OCFA said that he's committed to making all the changes needed so that this doesn't happen again. That's the thing that you can. That's the thing I think we can rest comfortably in. This does not happen twice. This appears to be sort of a weird, perfect or imperfect storm, however you want to look at it, that will not be allowed to happen again. Training will change. Dispatch policy will change. Interagency communication will change. All of that is going to change as a result of this. And believe me, the county and the potential for lawsuits for the 15 people who lost their homes and other structures, this will not happen again. All right, we come back. A fun story to end the 11 o'clock hour. Universal Studios Hollywood. Their Halloween Horror Nights, which have become legendary, legendary. They're adding a new, and I would say not quite as scary, but they're adding a new dimension to it, and they're going to dip into uh, current oh, pop culture as a result. That's a great tease. Another dimension. Another dimension. Monica gets me, Blake. She understands that I work on many different levels. <laughs> Thank you for that. Gary and Shannon will return. Gary and Shannon. Man. Eric in San Francisco writes, When my mom passed and I first saw my original birth certificate in the box titled, Children Previously Born to This Mother, it said, One. And Eric says, I thought I was the oldest child with one adopted sister. I have questions. He writes, we're we're in the one o'clock hour. We're gonna we're gonna talk about the unusual things that you find out about your family once they pass away. Weird stuff like this, and we have some fantastic ones that have written in. Um, maybe you're going through some stuff and you find that uh, Grandpa had a fake hand or a hook or something like that. I, whatever it is, um, I have a story about something that I have found that my belongs to my family. We still have it, uh, and it's a strange, strange connection to. Um, 
Well, the Nazi Germany. I'll explain the whole thing in the one o'clock hour. All right. I am not a gigantic fan of haunted houses. I don't. I mean, I'll go and I like movies that are suspenseful and jump out of your seat and stuff. My daughter thinks she really likes them, although she doesn't. Um, <laughs> she's just trying to be cool. But Halloween Horror, Horror Nights mm-hmm. at Universal Studios has become absolutely legendary. Mm-hmm. And they have now done all of the horror movie franchises. Uh, they do Walking Dead. In fact, I think Walking Dead is now part of the tour. It's yeah. part of the, the tram tour, I think. I covered Halloween Horror Nights every single year in Florida. Even when I moved to New York, I still came back for Halloween Horror Nights. It's my favorite event of the year. That's a good scam if you can get the company to pay for you to fly <laughs> to Florida just to go to Universal. Well, I still, I still covered it for, for Fox, but okay. it was... <laughs> anyways, I lo- it was my favorite event of the year. It's, it's constantly, um, you know, there's new things that are added every single year. They get licensing for all these great movies to to convert them into haunted houses. There's usually about five to seven every year. So you get, you know, you get to check out all the different ones. And I hate horror movies, but I love Halloween Horror Nights, really? which is so weird. Yeah. Now, and this is a new, this is a new version, I want to say, because 15, 20 years ago, it was different. I mean, mm-hmm. I have friends who used to work at... At Magic Mountain, for example. Yeah. And when they would do it, and they started doing the haunted house style, part, you know, park at Halloween kind of thing, you could get aggra- well, aggressive is not the right word. You could touch. Yeah. You could touch the customers just yeah. to spook them. I mean, you're not grabbing and groping and stuff, although I'm sure some of them did that. Yeah. But you could touch them to scare them. You, absolutely hands off at Universal. I don't know why my mom thought this was a good idea, but I went to my first Halloween Horror Nights when I was 10. And, yeah, they could touch you. And now, if they want to scare you, they will walk right by you, and then all of a sudden you look to the side, and you're like, oh, my God. Yeah. I- or, you know, <laughs> stuff like that. But <laughs> they cannot touch you. They can't grab you. They can't do anything physical to scare you. Which is fine, because they don't need to. I mean, obviously, right, it's still right. they still do a great job without even laying fingers on you, which is uh, fine. Yeah. Um, this is the big announcement from Halloween Horror Nights. The creators are partnering partnering directly with Netflix for a hands-on Stranger Things experience. 99 out of 100 times, kid goes missing. The kid is with a parent or a relative. What about the other time? What? You said 99 out of 100. What about the other time? The one! So they are going to do Stranger Things, and they have said they're not quite sure how exactly it's going to play out, but that you have to go through and brave the supernatural happenings that all the kids faced in season one of the series in the Upside Down, this parallel universe that has upset the balance of things in Hawkins, Indiana. That just gave me goosebumps. Uh, I'm so pumped about this. But you, I don't know if you have to climb into the... No, you know, you're down in there with the branches and the. So when they do these haunted houses, you don't have to climb, you don't have to do anything strenuous, but sometimes you do have to duck down under things. So if they do have branches, it's more of a sensory thing. So the branches may touch you, and you may have to walk through, and and that's creepy in itself. I, I think that they would start in the kid's house. I would think so too. Uh, with the lights on the wall and everything, and he was yeah. using the lights to communicate with mom, and then. I know. I'm out. You're giving them ideas. It's great. 
Yeah, they should have. Asked I went to me. one where you had to crawl under like a weighted blanket, like a big Ooh. weighted tarp. That sounds lovely. And it was pitch black, and you're on your stomach, army crawling through. What? What are you doing? It was. It was at like a. You church. had the weirdest Boy oh, at Scout a church. troop ever. <laughs> no, it wasn't. <laughs> No, this was like two years ago, uh-huh. and it was super creepy because people are getting lost underneath the tarp. Nope. And then you, <laughs> when you pop back up on the other side, you're in a pitch black storage container. Yeah, no. And so you're expecting someone to be in there. Sounds and, like you were kidnapped. Oh, my yeah. gosh. Sure was there was any trafficking house? involved it was, here? It was called like Ward 13 or something in Pasadena. It was a, it was uh, a really good one. Did any really of good. your friends go missing? Uh, no, no. <laughs> At that- the end, they strap you to a uh, um, wheelchair. And they're wheeling you around through all these people that are like oh, crazy people. No, and that's not going to happen. No. It's an, oh, it was I'm a out. Thing. Yeah, not I'm out. Thing. All right, we come back. <laughs> uh, we'll do all of what's trending. We have Swamp Watch coming up at the bottom of the hour. And uh, we'll talk about what the president has been saying about Amazon. He is not laying off Jeff Bezos. That's all coming up on the Gary and Shannon Show. Shannon. Shannon's out today on vacation. A little bit later this week, as a matter of fact, Jane Wells is going to come in and hang out with us for the entire show. So that'll be a blast. She's already she's already suggested we drink wine. So, I mean, hey, what the heck? Uh, that's a good plan. Hey, a little bit later, we're going to be talking about Swamp Watch, what's going on in D.C. The president met with some Baltic state leaders today and made comments about what will happen along the border. He has said that he wants U.S. military along the border until the wall is built. So we'll see what the Pentagon is doing now as a result of the president's directive. Also, we talked earlier about how the Cosby trial is getting started again. The second Cosby trial, they've started seating some of the jurors, and uh, the panel is almost complete. They should have them seated by uh, tomorrow at the latest, I believe. And then start opening statements in all of this. All right. What else is going on? Time for What's Happening. Well, Monica's been telling you about this story that we need your help with. A woman carjacked a vehicle with a baby inside in Van Nuys this morning. They said that it happened about 10 o'clock near Galt Street and Sepulveda, just east of the 405. The stolen vehicle that they're looking for with this baby inside is a white Infinity G20. And it's got a spare on the right side. They said license plate number 4SDK433. But it's a white G20 Infinity with uh, a spare on the right side. They have no idea if the, the person who took it was armed or if it was taken by force originally, they said. Uh, but they are out looking for the vehicle, and uh, the more eyes on it, the the better we'll we'll do here and save this 11 month old kid. Again, a white Infinity G20 with a license plate 4SDK433. Uh, there was the uh, the follow up to this baby Jesse story. Well, not baby Jesse, but baby Jessica, Jesse Hernandez, the 13 year old kid who ended up in the uh, ended up in the sewer over in Griffith Park. He spent an Easter with his family at the park, and he falls into a sewer system because he's jumping on planks in an abandoned concrete building that was a Bureau of Sanitation building at one point. The planks break. He drops 25 feet into a four-foot-wide sewer pipe full of, you know, 
sewage. So he actually talked last night. A bunch of different reporters from TV stations, et cetera, all caught up with him. This was, uh, I think, Tom Waits from Channel 5. KKL 9's Tom Waits, live in Huntington Park now with the incredible story. Tom? Sorry, that's Tom Waits. I was looking for Tom Waits, the reporter. KKL 9's Tom Waits, live in Huntington Park now with the incredible story. Tom? Yeah, Juan and Elsa, I mean, any of us can hardly imagine how scary this whole situation was. When we talked to this teen tonight, he was surprisingly resilient. He does seem like he's in a bit of shock, as anyone would be. Just glad he's home tonight. Of course he is. And he smells. I was thinking, like, I'm going to die. And I was never going to see my parents again. Uh, He did have a phone with him, by the way, because he's a teenage boy, and they all do. He had a phone with him when he fell in. But I guess pulled the phone out to try to use it, didn't have service down below the ground, and then used, tried to use it as a flashlight and ended up dropping it in the sewer. <clears throat> basketball last night, Villanova beat Michigan 79-62, their second basketball championship in three years. I didn't watch a moment of it. I... My neighbors did. Did they? Could You could hear them? Yeah. <laughs> Jerks. I, uh, I still don't have... My University of Maryland, Baltimore County T-shirt. Come on, <laughs> you guys. I know it was busy for you after you beat uh, you beat Virginia, but let's uh, let's pick up the delivery system here, shall we? Uh, one of the stories that we did last week was the Schlitterbahn water slot. You have to say that very carefully. No, you don't have to. Blake asked if he has to dump that. Schlitterbahn was the name of the water park in Kansas. And Verrucht was the name of the slide itself, the water ride, which is German for crazy. The 72-year-old guy who designed it has finally been picked up. This, if you remember, was the slide that decapitated a 10-year-old boy. 72-year-old John Schooley was picked up after he showed up at an airport in Texas late yesterday. After Caleb Schwab died two years ago on this on this ride, Schooley uh, was in. I guess he was in China. He landed at Dallas Fort Worth. The marshals took him into custody. He's going to be uh, in Texas before he's arraigned in Kansas. They take him over there. He said that he was traveling in Asia on a business trip. Uh-huh. He's one of many people, by the way, who is being charged with all of this. Because supposedly all of this water slide was rushed into service. It wasn't designed well. It definitely wasn't tested well. And uh, they said that even the Guinness Book of World Records was was a little bit reluctant to call it the world's tallest water slide because they didn't want to add sort of a stamp of approval to something that was as dangerous as this. But. 17 stories high. Yes, it's a little crazy. And it's not a water slide in that you jump in it and you go. You you actually ride in a raft on this thing. Mm. And it's a straight, well, as straight as you can get, but it's a straight drop down and then uh, a ridge. There's sort of a hump in the middle of it before it goes back down. And when you hit that hump, the crest of that hump, you're supposed to feel like zero Gs. But in the case of Caleb and the two women that were in the raft with him, the raft left contact with the actual trough that it's supposed to stay in and Caleb hit his head on the metal hoop that holds the netting above that. Uh, The two women were also seriously injured as well. Uh, And then finally, Panera is trending today for bad reasons. 
Panera Bread's website apparently leaked customer records for at least eight months. Leaked names, leaked emails, leaked physical addresses, birthdays, the four digits of credit card numbers of millions of customers who ordered food online from the Panera Bread website. Really? Millions? Millions of people are ordering Panera online? find that hard to believe. Hey, Gary, have some breaking news. It looks like they found that car uh, that was stolen in Van Nuys this morning. Police have the little boy with them. Oh, so he good. was found safe and sound. All right. Yep. Well, congratulations. I think we've done a I think we've done good work for today in that case. When we come back, have you ever tried to wake up your kid to go to church? On Easter of all days, arguably the most important day to go to church. I have a clue. I have a hint. If you haven't figured out how to do this without um, uh, without arguing with them, I found a, I found a way. Mom in Arizona is going to teach us how to do this. Is it using an air horn like I did to my sister one time? No. Cold water? Nope. Oh. Even better than both of those. But maybe sort of a combination of the two, depending on how you do it. Explain all of that. Also, your chance at winning $1,000 coming up brought to you by our friends at Cunning Dental. You got some wisdom teeth problems? Call Cunning Dental for that free exam. 888-640-SMILE. Keep listening. We'll tell you how you can win coming up. Gary and Shannon will continue. Gary and Shannon, some parenting advice. Just a few minutes, but first, $1,000 to give away. Here's how you can win it. Your shot at $1,000 now. Text the keyword money to 200-200. You'll get a text confirming entry plus iHeartRadio info. Standard data and messaging rates apply. That's money to 200-200. The winners will receive a phone call. So even if it's from a number you don't recognize, you're going to want to answer that call coming up within the hour. Your next chance to win, though, one hour from now, you have a chance to win $1,000 once an hour between 5 a.m. and 7 p.m., Monday through Friday right here on KFI. All right, let's discuss, shall we? Let's discuss how we're going to wake up our children for Easter church service. Sharon Dobbins uh, is a mother from Phoenix. She's 40. And she says that she has a very creative way to get her kids up for Easter service. Bribery? Negative. Hmm. Alarm clock? Nope. Oh. Not water, not an air horn, but a taser. Don't tase me, bro. Don't tase me. Listen, she says that she only sparked the taser to get the kids up for church on Easter. That would wake one up, would it not? Just the little mom standing at the foot of the bed. And the thing is, it's not like you don't hear your mom telling you to get up. That's the thing. You know she's at the... You're just pretending. (laughs) Come on. Come on. Get up. Come on. Get up. It's time for church. Come on. We got to go. We got to go. We got to get up. We got to go. And finally, she just goes... With the taser at the end of the bed, right? That's what she says. She says all she did was spark it to get the kids up for church on Easter. She denies actually using the taser on anyone. That kid was probably like, nah, she's never going to use that. (laughs) An 18-year-old and a 17-year-old 
were also in the room of the apartment with the 16-year-old. So there's three kids, all of them teenagers. This woman is 40. She's busy. All right, like a nightmare. She is on the verge of a 72-hour psych hold (laughs) all the time because of these three kids. At about 7.45 in the morning on Sunday... She walks in, tries to get up the six, tries to wake up the 16-year-old or get the kid to move and f- uses the taser, sparks it, she says. The 18-year-old, the 17-year-old, and the 16-year-old all say, Mom shocked him. So she was arrested just after 8 o'clock on Easter Sunday because nothing says the resurrection of Christ like handcuffs. The victim did not complain of any pain, according to the police report, but did have a couple of small bumps on his leg that he said were left by the taser. So she's booked on suspicion of child abuse. She appeared in court yesterday and told the kids, uh, told the judge, get this. Okay, oh, hold on a second. I'm going to add a layer to this again. <laughs> 18-year-old, 17-year-old, 16-year-old, two of them are on probation. And have ankle bracelets. For example, the 16-year-old whom she allegedly tased is on probation with an ankle bracelet. And she's the one who supposedly is keeping him in custody, watching him, the finger quotes, responsible adult that's watching over all of this. She has been ordered not to have contact with the child (laughs) at all. She told the judge she was going to have to find somewhere else for the child to live. She was released from jail following her court appearance. Don't tase me, bro. Don't tase me. I can't do anything. Now, uh, Blake, you said you've used an air horn to wake uh, up a sister. Yes. And it was approved by my mother. Oh. How? (laughs) That's cruel. I I knew Um, there was a reason I loved Pammy. What? I had an air horn. Yeah. Uh, my grandpa's co or my grandpa's worker gave it to me. And just like one of the like the little aerosol can one, right? Yeah, like the burr yeah. ones. Yeah. Okay. And so I went to my mom and I was like, Hey mom, can I use this to wake up Brittany? And she said, Yeah, but just one little boop, you know, just a quick one. That's it. And I said, Cool, sounds good. Walked in there and just And you <laughs> You emptied the can. Let it rip. <laughs> and she came up firing and I sprinted down the street. I literally ran out out the front door and just started running down the street and I never looked back just in case she was chasing me she was not now in terms so. in terms of the technique uh were you close to her oh no i had to stay next to the door okay oh right to get away yeah the getaway um, would have been but her important. her her room isn't ter- terribly it wasn't terribly huge so i don't know it was i don't know uh, probably 7 feet from her head was the horn oh can she still hear at this point? She's good now. She has kids now, so that might take it away soon. But she's she's good <laughs> from my trauma. Yep. Your trauma. Wow. Well, at least uh, <clears throat> at least you got away. I did. I did. I lived with her for years and years after that, so we kind of made it up multiple <laughs> she, times oh, in each direction. I'm so sure. she did get back at you eventually. She probably did. In some I don't way. Remember. All right. Well, Actually, that's good. I was the baby, so getting back at me was not usually an option because my brother and sister are much older than me. So it was like I was allowed to get away with a lot of stuff. <laughs> and with, now you you live with mom and dad. Yeah, I think they got back at you. They're the ones with kids, and not me.
you know it. Um, l- next hour, listen, here's what we're going to do. We're going to talk about things that you find when your parents, your grandparents, when Crazy Aunt Margaret, when somebody dies, the weird things that you find in their stuff when you have to go through their personal effects, some of the things that people have been writing in are fantastic. A hand grenade with a pin still in it. Oh, no. I think there's a lot of, you know, good old World War II guys that come back with uh, mementos, perhaps, that they know are not dangerous or wouldn't be. Uh, How about this? Um, One person wrote in and said, I found a bundle of letters that pointed to the existence of a secret adopted half-brother. Oh. Another one. Uh, from, From mom, I found fluffy black handcuffs. Okay. And and seventy two flannel shirts. Wow, there are so many that more. Is, that's a contradicting. Uh, yeah, it doesn't make a lot of sense. There are so many more. Have you ever found anything weird going through your parents' stuff or grandparents' stuff, especially after they pass away and they can't, like, you can't ask questions. There's no one there who's going to answer to you what actually happened or why they have fluffy black handcuffs and seventy two flannel shirts. Um, let me know what it is. You can send it to it uh, to us at Gary and Shannon on social media, on Facebook, Twitter. Uh, you can email us however it is. In the 1 o'clock hour, we're going to talk about some of the crazy things that have already come in. When we come back, though, we're going to get into Swamp Watch and talk about what's going on in D.C. The president held a news conference not too long ago, and we'll play part of it for you where he's explaining what he wants to do with the military along the border. That's next on Gary and Shannon. Drain the swamp. We're going to drain the swamp of Washington. We're going to have fun doing it. We're all doing it together. Swamp Watch. Gary and Shannon. On this Tuesday, 1 o'clock hour, we're going to do some fun stuff. First of all, we're going to... Reveal some of the unusual items that you have found after a loved one's death, like the uh, the furry black handcuffs that mom had, or the severed head picture that I found. It's just bizarre stuff that you find after people pass away and you kind of go through their stuff. We'll do that in the 1 o'clock hour. Also, Neil Savage is going to join us. Uh, we're going to do some Tasty Tuesday stuff and all talk about berries, boysenberries. Let's start, though, with our Swamp Watch stuff. The president has said that he's calling on the military to guard the U.S.-Mexico border until the long-promised border wall is complete. We don't have laws. We have catch and release. You catch, and then you immediately release, and people come back years later for a court case, except they virtually never come back. So uh, we are preparing for the military to secure our border between Mexico and the United States. Uh, We have a meeting on it in a little while with General Mattis and everybody, and uh, I think that it's something we have to do. I mean, gosh, how horrible would it be to send armed forces to the border? (coughs) That's such a Republican. Wait. What if you could resist? Ah, Is that me? It is? Are you sure? You think it's? No, it's not the recording. It's probably just me watching videos in the commercial breaks like I shouldn't. But imagine what a Republican horror to send armed forces to the border. Edit that out, right, Blake? Actually, in 2010, President Obama deployed 1,200 National Guard troops to the border. Huh. Uh, Actually, George W. Bush sent personnel down in 2006. 
So when he says it, granted he says it with a little bit of a different flavor, shall we say. But you can't just say that this is President Trump doing something that no other president has done. He says he's spoken with uh, Mad Dog Mattis, and they're going to do some things militarily, he says, until we can have have a wall and proper security. We're going to be guarding our border with the military. One of the stories that we covered earlier was this ongoing caravan, this migrant caravan that's been getting a lot of headlines for having gone through Mexico. These are mostly Central American migrants who are making a point, working on behalf of a group called... Everybody, Pueblo Sin Fronteras, towns without borders, because I guess there are places that don't have borders. I don't know where they are, but I guess there are some in fantasy world. And they had been making their way through Mexico. Now, they have stopped, but they have been receiving help along the way. If you've seen that headline, by the way, this is a very misleading headline that Mexican authorities are helping this migrant group make its way through Mexico, they have already picked up and deported 400 members of that caravan. 400 of them have already been picked up and sent home out of Mexico. Now, how rude is that? They're just visiting. They're just making a political point. The government came out and said, listen, some of the participants are subject to an administrative migratory procedure. 400 of them have been repatriated to their countries of origin, which sounds lovely. I don't even know what it sounds like in Spanish, because all I can say in Spanish is Pueblo sin fronteras. Which isn't bad. Thank you. Gracias. Oh, that's right. I forgot. (laughs) Gracias. Uh, Mike Huckabee has taken to the Internet, and this is an unfortunate thing because Mike Huckabee has tried to get into the joke business. Mike Huckabee, former governor of Arkansas, current father to the press secretary for the White House, needs to stop. I'm going to read to you the Mike Huckabee tweet. Had a colonoscopy today. My doctor was Russian. Now that's what I call Russian meddling. <laughs> no, do not, no. Don't. They put me to sleep with the same stuff that Michael Jackson used when I woke up. Quick gas go around. <clears throat> Quick gas go around. Because I know that you just say it took a bite, Blake, but this is an important gas go around. All right. Mike Huckabee. I need a punchline here. They put me to sleep with the same stuff Michael Jackson used. When I woke up, I blank. Blake Aloysius is done. When I woke up, I... I don't know. I don't know enough Michael Jackson lyrics to be able to make a fun one. Lyrics, just, you know who Michael Jackson was? Wasn't dead. I uh, wasn't dead. That wasn't very good. Uh, he's not there. Okay, Monica, I need a punchline. They put me to sleep with the same stuff Michael Jackson used. When I woke up, I blank. Had a kid, but it wasn't my son. Billie Jean? No? Okay. No? Billie Jean is not my lover. She says I'm not the one, but the kid is not my son. Oh, I get it. I get it. Okay. I like that. That's good. 
That was no, bad. All I'm, right. It was very wah, bad. Wah, it was a Mike Huckabee joke. But here, <laughs> Mike Huckabee's isn't a whole lot better. They put me to sleep with the same stuff Michael Jackson used. When I woke up, I moonwalked I right out of the hospital. I knew it. That was a predictable one. Oh, boy. All right. Well, it's <sighs> unfortunate. Um, well. we, we will talk when we come back about the latest attack that the president has leveled against Amazon. And he tells you he's right. We'll talk about what it is that he's accusing Amazon of doing and why it is this may be a very calculated attempt to dip into Jeff Bezos's vast wealth. We'll talk about all of that when we continue with Swamp Watch right after this. Gary and Shannon will continue. <laughs> Gary and Shannon. Shannon's out. She's on vacation. We wish her well. She said she would send pictures, and we'll post them perhaps when we uh, when we get some photographic evidence that she is in fact on vacation. We're in the middle of Swamp Watch, talking about what goes on in Washington D.C. Uh, we do have our first actual prison sentence that's been handed down as a result of the uh, special counsel's probe. Alec, uh, Alex Vanderswan is an associate of Richard Gates, the former Trump aide, and apparently the son-in-law of one of the richest men in Russia. And, in fact, he's a lawyer who's based in London. He has been ordered to serve 30 days in prison after the federal judge uh, agreed, or I should say he lied, to the special counsel's office. And he's going to be going to jail or at least been sentenced to 30 days in jail. One of the other big stories is the way the president has been tweeting after uh, Amazon. Tweet, tweet, tweet. What do you think he just tweeted? Sit back, relax, and enjoy my tweets. Well, for the fourth time in a week, the president took to Twitter to bash Amazon. Today's tweet was, I am right about Amazon costing the U.S. post office massive amounts of money for being their delivery boy. Amazon should pay these costs plus and not have them borne by the American taxpayer. Many billions of dollars. P.O. leaders, post office leaders, don't have a clue. And then in parentheses, or do they? Mark Remlard is joining us to help discuss this. Well, Mark, do they have a clue? (laughs) Well, uh, every indication is uh, that the president's tweet here would be wrong. But uh, unless he knows something that we don't know out in the public, uh, there's no indication that the post office is losing uh, any money with Amazon. Uh, The post office is by law bound uh, when it makes deals with private shippers that it has to uh, have at least – it cannot lose money on what it chooses to ship with people. So even though Amazon may come to them and say we're going to ship 5 million packages you uh, in in one week, so we want a discounted rate. That rate still has to, uh, you know, they still can't lose money on that. So at worst, they're breaking even. But the biggest growth sector for the post office is package delivery because first-class mail is not what it used to be uh, with email and people not writing letters as much anymore. Uh, and so uh, Amazon contributes a significant amount to that. So uh, the uh, basic sum- assumption is actually that Amazon benefits the post office by using them rather than their competitors. It is interesting. And what Amazon does now in terms of, you know, the discussion of package delivery 
is not as big a percentage of what it does overall because they've got Amazon has other contracts with the government, don't they? I mean, they they do like uh, cloud servers for the government. That's right. Yeah. Um, Amazon was uh, just working for a, a cloud service deal with the Department of Defense that uh, was supposed to be close to a billion dollars. Um, and that has been slashed to uh, something like $65 billion. Uh, that's still ongoing, and, and it's not a completed deal yet, uh, from my understanding. But yes, they do many other things than just ship uh, you know, packages to people. Uh, cloud service is a growing field for them as well. Uh, and, and if you look at uh, their streaming music service, streaming videos, even cloud storage for personal use, these are all areas and industries in which Amazon has got its fingers. One of the concerns I would assume is that the president, simply by tweeting about anything, I mean, let alone the fact that he's done it four times in a week, the president tweeting anything about a specific company can impact that company's bottom line. We've seen the stock price for Amazon drop in the last few days. Yeah, absolutely. And that is the interesting thing here. And, and what is uh, so remarkable about this is that you have uh, what seems to be the president using the powers of the presidency to essentially affect a company. And when that company is owned uh, or run by a guy who owns a newspaper, i.e. the Washington Post, that has been critical of the president, it's an interesting triangle there. And so uh, it's not to say that that is the reason behind what's going on or why the president is going after Amazon, uh, but it's certainly on people's minds. And you're right, the stock of Amazon has been affected by this. It did, right as we come up to the close, looks like it is going to end the day up, but it has lost uh, billions of dollars over the past week or so. Um, but again, the post office's troubles don't stem from shipping. The po- and in fact, he seems to indicate that taxpayer money goes towards the operations of the post office, and that's not true. The, ta- the, the post office runs like a business. Uh, it's actually the funding of the pensions and, and its other requirements to its employees that is affecting the fiscal uh, state uh, status of the post office, not its shipping uh, business. When's the last time you handwrote a letter, put a stamp on it, put it in the mail? That's a good question. Uh, I have mailed checks in the past year. I will say that, but uh, it's been a long time. It's been a long time, a number of years. I, I imagine that's the case for a lot of people, considering mail is just not the way we think of communicating anymore. And that's also affected the post office's business. Mark, thank you. Thank you. Mark Remillard there with the latest on what's going on. The president's uh, uh, bitter, it appears, battle between the president and Amazon. I thought one of the things... When, when we talked about the post office, I want to say a couple of years ago, we were talking about how it works, how it gets its money, where the money goes to, you know, in terms of taxpayer money going towards pensions, et cetera, health care and that sort of thing for postal workers. I, I remember the discussion of what would have happened if the Postal Service got in on email back when it was a thing. I mean, my first email address was a bunch of numbers. Remember, I mean, it was the, back when... It, mine no was one, an AOL account. Right. It, I think mine was a CompuServe, if I'm not mistaken. And then it <laughs> went to AOL, and then I got a Yahoo account where I could make my own screen name and that sort of... But but back in those days, if, if the Postal Service had gotten in on email servers then and been at the forefront of the new way that we communicate, maybe they would have been a viable thing. I mean, maybe the headline wouldn't be that the post office was losing tens of millions of dollars a year, but rather that 
they have become one of the rare sources of income for the government that is steady, that is consistent, and is increasing every year. But, it, I mean, hey, hindsight's twenty twenty, and that being 25 years ago would have been the opportunity for them to get in on this. But it doesn't happen. Won't happen. Not going to happen. I don't know if you're a fan of Louise Linton. I don't, you don't even know if you know who Louise Linton is. She's Steve Mnuchin's wife, actress, Hotsy Totsy, I think is the way Blake would describe her. <laughs> Hotsy Totsy. Yes. Who says that? Okay. Uh, a movie called <laughs> Serial Daters Anonymous. When did you start attributing your quotes to me? Where do you think I got it from? <laughs> Louise Linton plays a witty, driven fashion columnist who, dr- who dumps her fiancé on their wedding day after he whispers a mysterious secret in her ear at the altar then sets herself up as a vigilante dating blogger who dishes the dirt on the awful dates she has in the wake of her breakup, showing at one point her tapping away at a keyboard, just like Carrie Bradshaw from Sex and the City? Again, Serial Daters Anonymous, if you want to go check it out, it's been in production, finger quotes, for four years, mm. while it's, someone tried to edit the stink off of it, apparently. It's been, the trailer videos have been taken off of Vimeo. Really? Yes. <laughs> uh, anyway, she's the one who drew ridicule Ooh, after she posted an image of a trip she took with her husband aboard the government jet. And she was talking about all the clothes that she was wearing and just, I mean, Nobody likes to see our government officials have too much money or flaunt the too much money that they do have. So uh, just an odd, out-of-touch posting that she had uh, that she put up as a result of, or I should say, that was a result of her putting up the post. All right, we come back. The unusual items that you have found after people died. You ever go through some dead relative's stuff and surprised to find a live hand grenade? or fluffy handcuffs, or a brick of heroin, something like that. Or all three. Or all three together. We'll <laughs> talk about that when we come back to The Gary and Shannon Show. I'm in deep with this girl, but she's out of my mind. She's not We'll get into uh, dead people stuff here in just a minute. Some of the stories that we've uh, been covering today include the Bill Cosby trial, a couple of big victories for the defense, including the fact that somebody is going to be allowed to testify that Andrea Constand talked about framing a celebrity before she ever went to the police uh, in 2005 to say that Cosby had assaulted her. They're seating the jury right now. That trial should get started pretty quickly. Also, uh, a few special elections, some state assembly Elections taking place throughout L.A. today. And in each of the three assembly seats that are up for grabs today, there are multiple candidates. And in many cases, five, six, even seven Democrats running against one Republican. And if none of the candidates gets 50 percent, then they'll go to a runoff in June. But uh, with that many candidates going together, it's hard to believe that anybody would. So we'll talk about this dead people stuff thing because this is pretty fun. Uh in the context of what we do when people die, sort of a, a cultural thing where grandma passes away or great uncle Louie or whatever, and we go through their stuff. 
And assuming that they haven't written down the very specific instructions about what exact items go to whom, you kind of go through and you split up what you expect other family members might want or special things that they remember that they want to keep as a keepsake. But a lot of times we find things that we didn't expect. I ran across in an old box of pictures from my, I believe it was my dad's parents that they owned. I found a small picture of a severed head out on some country road somewhere. And it's a very small picture. I mean, it's literally maybe two or three inches square. And you had to look at it with a magnifying glass to see what the picture was. But it was clearly a severed human head. I have no idea where he has no idea where it came from. The date on the back of it, handwritten date, was about 19, I want to say 1927, 1929, something like that. And no location. I don't even know if it was in the United States. But a bizarre thing to have. Yeah. Because I don't think any, I don't think any of us have pictures of severed severed human body parts. I can only speak for myself, but I do not. Yeah. Um, There is a a thread online called Mumsnet, British, so Mumsnet. They're talking about people finding nice old things with their parents. Of course, it turns weird, but I mean the nicer things like love letters between uh, between parents or grandparents. In fact, my my grandfather served in the Navy. He was in the Pacific on a ship in the Navy in World War II, and we have some of his handwritten letters to grandma. Cool. Amazing. Just amazing. Because I didn't know him until, I mean, I don't have recollection of him before he was 75 years old. So I don't know what he was like when he was in his 20s. But these are like the, the small window into who he was. Uh, some of them refer to people who found out that mom or dad had been married previously that they didn't know about. Or that there were extra siblings, half-brothers, stepsisters that they had never heard of. Lori wrote on Facebook, it wasn't my family, but a good friend's spinster sister passed away. And she was uh, he was tasked with sorting through her estate. Not a lot of particularly valuable stuff. Until he stumbled on her porn cash. No. It wasn't, I... <laughs> it wasn't just any porn. It was a huge collection of those vintage soft porn novels. With the kind of salacious and highly collectible cover art. Oh, okay. Says that he made a fortune when they sold those off. Jennifer writes in, we found out that we're related to a king or some other type of royalty from Norway when he had an affair with a maid. And Jennifer says, I like to call myself a dirty princess. Oh, okay, Jennifer. Okay. Might have been a little. (laughs) Um, Danny wrote in, I... My mom was my aunt, ex-mother-in-law. Okay, wait a minute. I'm And mom and dad never married. Oh. <laughs> wow. Uh-oh. Um, Jackie says she found in her mom's stuff naked posters of Burt Reynolds. Okay. <laughs> that would be hilarious. That would be hilarious. I mean, there are things that you would find... Like, I have two sisters, two older (laughs) sisters. So if one day, God forbid we ever have to do this, but if we had to go through our parents' stuff, 
there would be stuff that would be ridiculously <laughs> difficult. I mean, just emotionally taxing, oh. remembering certain clothes or pictures or vacations or something like that. But if I found a <laughs> if I found a naked poster of Burt Reynolds, I'm on the floor laughing at that point. Oh man. Um Michael says, yeah, running from trouble with the government, left the Azores Islands, changed our name when we arrived in the U.S. Very long time ago. So I don't know what kind of sketchy crap my forefathers were getting down with, but that's why our last name is different. Uh, Colin, I found a letter from my grandfather to my grand, sorry, grandfather to my grandmother dated December 41. He describes going up the coast in Pacific Palisades area, stopped by the army, ordered to turn his lights off and sit there. Because there was a Japanese sub off the coast and they didn't want to give them anything to target. you imagine that? Different world. That's wow. the other part about it. That the, the context of letters written in the 40s or 20s or before that even and the, the way life worked back then. I would love to read any letter or love letter that my grandfather wrote to my grandmother. But there was no such thing when we looked through his stuff. Well... And I didn't find anything salacious or interesting. Well, not everybody's going to. I mean, that's the thing. It's it's a sort of the weird lottery ticket that you find, you know, grandma's yeah. fluffy black handcuffs or something. Like yeah. That. You scared uh, me. You ju- said you said somebody found a porn collection. I'm like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, John says every Christmas, my grandma would have tree ornaments made for my mom and three aunts with a Bible verse or a Christmas poem. She died October 2007. My mom went into her storage unit, found four boxes of Christmas ornaments, which said, Merry Christmas with blessings and cheer. I'll be spending Christmas with Jesus this year. So, she, uh, like, she knew that she was going to die. That's sad. Um, Greg, I went through my father's papers. We found three marriage certificates. We It wasn't surprising. We knew he was married three times. But we met, we found that he married each wife on the same day. On January 26th, so he wouldn't get the anniversary wrong for the wrong wife. Um, uh, who's this? Justine. I was helping my mom go through my great Aunt Mary's stuff after she passed away. Oh, boy. We found a shoebox with a baby memorial in it. There was a little blanket and some ashes. I had no idea she ever had a child. She never talked about it. She says it felt like a violation of her privacy, even in death. The things you find out a person, things you find out about a person you thought you knew. I have more of these. We'll talk more about them when we come back. But if you have some, if you have gone through someone's stuff and found out something about them after they died, we'd love to hear from you. 1-800-520-1534-800-5201-KFI. Tell us. What is the weird thing that you found after somebody died? Plus, an opportunity for you and $1,000 coming up brought to you by Cunning Dental. You got some wisdom teeth issues? Call Cunning Dental for a free exam, 888-640-SMILE. Keep listening. You ever found teeth? I'm sure that there are teeth somewhere in a box. Oh, with mom, like mom saving baby teeth or something? Yeah. Ugh. I did that. For a while. I think I've gotten rid of most of the kids' teeth. Oh my. What were you going to do with them? Make like a necklace? It's just a piece of my babies, okay? <laughs> <laughs> and I would have kept my son's umbilical cord, but the cat ate it. 
Gary and Shannon will continue just a moment. Monica, <laughs> oh, what? Oh, man. Then I had questions. Oh, why? <laughs> now you're Please don't ask I have questions. no idea what it tastes like if that's what you're no! questioning. No! What is the question? No. What do you mean? <laughs> you kept part of the umbilical cord? Yeah, there's a part that sticks on there, and then it falls off after a few days. And how did the cat get it? It was just on the, it was on the like, shelf. What do you mean? <laughs> No. It's not like he ate it off no. the kid. That would be disgusting. No, so much no. Okay. Were you going to make like a pendant out of it? Yeah, what were you doing with that? You see, I have questions. I got that far yet, huh? I was going to put it in a box of cornflakes and see if anybody noticed. Ugh. Gary and Shannon will continue. Gary and Shannon. Monica mentioned this right there at the newscasts. There appears to be some sort of a active shooter investigation. We're not certain if there is, in fact, a shooter, but at least an investigation and a very hefty police response to the YouTube studios in San Bruno up in the uh, San Francisco area. San Mateo County Sheriff is assisting San Bruno police with the situation at uh, 901 Cherry Street. There was somebody who tweeted from inside the building that they heard what they thought were shots and saw some people running uh, and that he is now barricaded inside a room with some co-workers. Again, that, that, that's all we know. They that, have guy, not... that guy just updated his tweet. He's safe, got evacuated outside now. Vadim Lavrusik? Mm-hmm. That guy? Okay. Yep. So it's they haven't said, police haven't said if, in fact, they're looking for somebody who is shooting, but that's the way they're they're working on it right now. That's at least how they're treating the situation Again, at the YouTube studios in San Bruno. So we'll give you an update on that. But first, we got $1,000 for you. Your shot at $1,000 now. Text the keyword BILLS to 200-200. You'll get a text confirming entry plus iHeartRadio info. Standard data and messaging rates apply. That's BILLS to 200-200. Oh, boy. Some of these are good. Uh, don't forget, you got to answer the phone. They're going to call you from a number you might not recognize. But if you're going to win that $1,000, you got to answer the phone. Another chance to win coming up an hour from now in the John and Ken Show. Every hour, as a matter of fact, through the 7 o'clock hour. We have been talking about strange things that you find when someone passes. Uh, for example, among my grandmother's possessions, uh, a duck-billed platypus, a stuffed duck-billed platypus and a shrunken head. A shrunken head? Which, that's a pretty good one. Katie, what did you find? Hi. So cleaning out my father-in-law's man cave, he's a bit of a hoarder. We found, um, we came across some his marijuana. Okay. His porn stash, including toys. Um, but the weirdest thing was a loaded handgun in his recliner <laughs> and about $20,000 worth of cash stashed in various places, um, like old, old hats, floppy disks. I mean, we it was a treasure hunt. We were just digging for, you know, stuff we were going to throw away. We ended up finding wads of cash. Wow. About $20,000. So that was, that was fun. That is very cool. Thanks for calling, by the way. Roxanne. Roxanne, what did you find? Well, my grandmother passed away um, in 1992, and she was born in 1906 back in Indiana. And... Um, when we were going through her things um, after she passed, I found a little, it looked like an American flag pin, like a lapel pin, 
And I thought, oh, how cute this is. I'm looking at it. My two sisters were there with me and my mother. My mother's very naive. And I kept looking at the pin, though, and it had a little clasp on it, little hinges on the back. And I kept picking to open it, and I opened it, and inside it said KKK. (laughs) And I said to my mom, oh, my God, my grandmother was in the KKK. And my mom very naively says, oh, no. Um, she wasn't in the KKK. She just went to their meetings on Friday nights down at the river, and they would start bonfires, and they had meetings, and she would wear her white robe. <laughs> but she wasn't a member. She just exactly. liked the fashion and the heat. Exactly. Huh. And I thought, oh, my God, because my grandmother was alive when the Poseidon went down, you yeah. know. So it was just it was funny because wow. she was such a sweet old lady. But <laughs> anyway, Rock- that's the story. Thank you, Roxanne. I appreciate it. Uh, Tara, what did you find? Well, hey there. Um, well, my mom and dad, they're 18 years apart. She was like 27 when they met. He was like in his 40s. But uh, after she passed, I found there was this blue suitcase, and it kind of smelled musty, and I opened it up. Black and white porn photos of every possible position of them. Oh, no, no, no. No, 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 no. no. Of your parents? Thirty, At least 30 separate black and white. Oh. All positions, very clear, really good focus. I don't know how you put that a type of <laughs> And then, besides that, if it was a baggie of pubic hair, then a rubber bowl of Badab's penis. Now, why? Why would you do Especially those days, I don't even know you can do that. You know, this is wow. like a 50 bed. I mean, they did some weird stuff. Hang on a second, Tara. Blake has a question. I have a, yeah, how do you know it was a rubber mold of your dad's penis? Oh boy! But it, it's she thought he was God's gift, and it would make sense. Like I was with the photos. No, Tara's I would burn the house down. Yeah. yeah. I, I Thank you. A, I sat with a shredder. Trust me, everything you will never be seen by any other eyes but mine. But I can't burn my eyeballs. So <laughs> Tara, thank you very much. Uh, Charlene, you're going to wrap this up for us. What did you find? Well, I found two different things, one from my mother, which was a birth certificate um, with my my birth date, but a different dad and um, a different name. And through investigation, I found out that that was indeed mine, and Ooh. I was already 48 years old. And then and my sister, uh, a mummified umbilical cord, a circumcision ring, oh. and a bunch of baby teeth. Okay. When you say circumcision ring... Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm assuming you mean like the leftover foreskin. No, actually, it's a it, there's a little uh, plastic ring that would fit over the baby's penis. It's back in the what forty years ago, and I think it was like thirty-seven or forty years ago. And it's a little plastic ring that would fit over the. And the reason no. I know this no. is because I actually had my son circumcised that that and it was that way. So I knew that's what that was. I feel like someone just punched me. Nope. Yep. yep. That's so weird. Charlene. Well, it's better than whacking it off like they used to do. Oh, no. Wow. No, now Charlene, we've gone down no. a road that we can't come back from. And I appreciate yeah. that. Anyway. Uh, wow. We will, uh, we will continue to post these if you have some <laughs> more things that you have uh, found uh, while going through dead people's stuff. I, I have a question, though. Yes. And I get it. You want to save mementos from when your kids were babies. Yeah. But, but why? But not because, but not body parts. Right. Yeah. But but like that's the teeth why I and fed stuff. it to the cat. That's yeah. Oh no. I mean I didn't gross. feed it to the cat. 
I just wasn't upset. But do you think like 20 years later you're going to be like, oh. Well, I still have my, – my mom still has hair that she cut off of my head. What's she going to do with it? It's just stuck in a little thing in the in the baby book. Like this is what my hair color was on the day of my first haircut. <laughs> That's all. All right. I have one more to, to, to tell you about when we come back. Uh, I'll explain it. Neil's going to come in. And we're going to do Tasty Tuesday, so I'll tell you what I found in one of my uh, in a house that my family owns. Oh, please don't let it be gross right before we talk about food. <clears throat> it's not. It's not like her, it's not like Charlene and body parts and mm. weird stuff. All right, Gary and Shannon will continue. It's not really a riddle like we usually do for the food jokes, but I wanted to run this by you. What if? Hey, Nick. Yeah, I'm here. What if soy milk? Do you know where this is going already? Uh, yeah. Yeah. What if yeah. soy milk yeah. was just Spanish milk introducing itself to everybody? Ugh. I don't know. What if it was? No, that's it. It's not a real. Oh, soy just, milk. Yeah. Get it? Soy, soy milk. milk. Did you never take Spanish? Leche. No, never mind. Can I press okay. the button? No, this mm-hmm. sucks. Push the button. Wow. Fail. <laughs> Try to mix it up a little bit. That's what we get. All right. Um, two things. First of all, just to keep an eye on what's going on in San Bruno. We've been watching uh, hundreds of people, it looks like, leaving the YouTube headquarters in San Bruno. They are frisking these people individually. And Neil pointed out they all have multiple devices. You either have four True. cell phones or two cell phones and a laptop or a tablet, a cell phone, and a laptop. It's crazy. Everyone that's Everyone. coming out that's being frisked is it puts their hands over their head, and they have a laptop and multiple mobile devices. I, I never... mean, wouldn't you grab your electronics? Yeah, but I'm, and I'm not a law enforcement officer, but I would say uh, just put it down first. If, just put it down for they, a sec. If they shooting... I'm I'm just gonna get up and go. Yeah, I'm not really worried about my MacBook at that point. Um, again, I they have not yet said. They said that they got about 50 calls of gunshots at the YouTube headquarters in San Bruno, but police haven't been able to confirm if in fact there were gunshots. Some people had said they heard shots and saw people running, but we've seen instances before where what appears to be gunshots by some people. Uh, or at least they perceive them to be gunshots, tend to have some other explanation. So Maybe somebody clear. dropped a laptop. It's possible. It is possible. Multiple laptops. Let's hope. The other thing is we were talking about dead people stuff, things that you find that are weird. So my grandfather, my great-grandfather, spoke fluent German on my dad's side. I came from Germany. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Give me a second so I can pretend like that's surprising. What? <laughs> <laughs> Boy, and it's fun to go through old books that they had and stuff, and it's just some of them German. I have no idea what it is. Some of them are very does clear. it start with mine? It does. Oh boy, there is a copy of Mein Kampf written in German with notes in the margins. Now, I don't know what those notes say. Are there because you could hope it would be like. This guy's crazy. But there's a possibility that some of those notes in the margin say something like, you know, he may be onto something here. There was there anything that looked like um four sevens marching in a circle? <laughs> no? no. Okay, good. Well, 
<clears throat> but a lot of people had copies of Mein Kampf. Yes. I think my father did, and right. he was certainly... Uh, he wasn't supporting him. He wasn't... No. <sighs> yeah. So, anyway, that's um, that's what uh, my family has. All right. Neil Savage. Not a job us. you ever want to do, by the way. I mean, it's a horrible, sad thing to have to go through somebody's belongings when they pass... But as a child, you don't. There's just you yeah. don't want to pull that curtain back and see the wizard. Yeah, some of the things that people were talking yeah. about finding yeah. are better left in a box mm-hmm. somewhere out in yep. back. Never buried have to go far, buried. far down <laughs> or burned. Yeah. Either one. You know, I had know. a uh, I had a professor many years ago say, if you ever feel the need to tell somebody everything, go into the desert, tell a rabbit, then shoot the rabbit. <laughs> it's like wow. It's like nobody needs to know everything about you ever. <laughs> nice. Fair enough. Okay. Uh, all right. Neil Savedra, host of the Fork Report, that we hear uh, Saturdays two to five. And last Saturday, you had the incredible pleasure, as I could tell just from listening to you, of uh, broadcasting live from out at Knott's Berry Farm. Dude. <laughs> Dude. There was uh, there was joy oozing through the microphone. It that day. was one of my favorite show experiences. To date, the show's been around for six years or something like that. But one of my favorite to date, it was just killer. It was so much fun. They were so kind. The people there at uh, Knott's Berry Farm were so kind. Russ Nibs, who's the uh, vice president of food and beverage, sat in with me. The entirety of the show was a real treat, a real uh, a fun guy, passionate about food. But the, the thing that sets... The, the boysenberry is fascinating, and the thing that sets Knott's Berry Farm apart is we all know here in Southern California things like uh, the beauty of Disneyland. And we, we're uh, not even two miles away from where Walt Disney would sit, I believe, with his daughter on a bench and look at the merry-go-round in Griffith Park yeah. and said there should be a place for kids, right? Boom, birth of Disneyland. Uh, we're less than a mile away from uh, a wonderful studio that made films and said, gosh, people are really curious. We'll, we'll open the, this up so that people can come see the studios. Boom. Universal Studios comes uh, to be. Knott's Berry Farm was a restaurant that was so popular that they had to start making attractions so that people had something to do while they waited in line to eat. So this is a, this is a place that came to be based on food. Like, it's, you can't separate the two. Knott's Berry Farm is food. Food is Knott's Berry Farm. So when they have the Boysenberry Festival, which goes on until April 8th. Today being National Boysenberry Day. Indeed. Right. That nice little coinky dink. Right. Um, uh, that everything comes together in a place where you have people that love their heritage, love this, this wonderful berry called the Boysenberry, which... Can, there is no boysenberry, blow your mind, on the planet that is not traced back to Knott's Berry Farm. It's a Frankenstein? Yeah, it actually is a Frankenberry. Um, it was uh, created by uh, a gentleman called Rudolf Boysen, and I guess he had uh, grafted and uh, was doing experiments trying to create this berry, and it was kind of, uh, he had given up. And George Darrow, who was uh, part of the USDA at the time back in the 20s, and Walter Knott, who was a berry expert, got together and they're like, you know, George Darrow says, hey, I've heard of this place up north in in California 
that has this berry that no one's ever seen before. I need you to be able to come identify it. And he's like, I've never heard of, of the things you're describing. They went up there and uh, it had been sold. The farm had been sold. Uh, Mr. Boysen was no longer there. And they found being choked by weeds, this withering vine. And it was the only thing left of this boysenberry. So they excavated it and they brought it to Knott's Berry Farm and they brought it back to health. And every boysenberry can be traced back to that. And that's why, and, and then someone in, in made popularity in the pies and everything. And people asked Mr. Knott, well, what's the berry called? And he's like, boysenberry, after the guy who originated it. And so every like everything goes back. I think now New Zealand is the largest producer of the boysenberry, but everything goes back to Knott's Berry Farm. And so they hold this ingredient up like no other, and they treat it like royalty, and they make incredible foods out of it. It we'll was talk just about, mind-blowing. We'll talk about some of those things that they have made at, uh, at Knott's Berry Farm with the result of this boysenberry. And now you know. The, the rest of the story. Uh, Monica Ricks, what's going on? Dedicate yourself and you go find yourself. Standing in the hall of fame. Yeah. And the world's gonna know your name. Gary and Shannon. John and Ken, at the top of the hour, are going to have more on what's going on up in San Bruno. The details are still pretty sketchy, but San Bruno is where YouTube is headquartered. And there was a report not too long ago of gunshots at the YouTube headquarters. They, it looks like they've evacuated the vast majority of the building or the buildings there on that YouTube campus. They individually searched. I mean, they frisked everyone that was coming out of that building. There were reports also that they had multiple patients that have been taken to nearby hospitals uh, after this reported shooting. Again, police have not held a news conference yet, so the information that we are getting has been mostly from witnesses uh, and now from people who are working at hospitals, but there is uh, no word yet on who it was, uh, exactly why it was, or which part of the YouTube campus, in, in fact, was uh, was taken. But one of the hospitals in the area does say that there were multiple patients taken from the YouTube headquarters. So. When they do have a news conference, we'll bring it to you live and get an update on what's going on. Uh, we're talking with Neil Saavedra, the Fork Reporter, uh, about his time this uh, last show, this last weekend, out at uh, Knott's Berry Farm for Boysenberries, for the Boysenberry Festival. And Nick tried to get me to throw up when he held out his hands to explain to me how long that hot dog was. Uh... It, it was almost it, yeah. it was fantastic, but it was comical. Originally, uh, Russ Nibs, the uh, uh, VP of Food and Beverage there, he he like leaned over and told me, "Yeah, they, we've got a two foot hot dog." I'm like, "What?" Goes, That's yeah. hard on the junk. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Chris. That's not live, is it? <laughs> <laughs> it made me nervous. So it was like. It really just kept on going. It was like uh, clowns getting out of a car. It just kept on going. But the, everything is made fresh there on site. So you have this two-foot-long bun that has boysenberry in it. So you can see this. I put a video up on, and I encourage you to see it if you haven't. Go to uh, at Fork Reporter on Instagram, at Fork Reporter on Instagram. And you can see this. They're pouring what looks like caramel on it, but it's not. It's a boysenberry mustard. It had boysenberry relish on it, 
and you can see the purple on the inside of the bun that hasn't been caramelized mm-hmm. by cooking, by baking. So it's kind of a bright purple, and it was it was really the, – the sausage was absolutely stellar. The bun was fantastic and had a great crust on the outside and a wonderful crumb, doughy and yummy on the inside. And it was just – it was a, a fabulous hot dog to begin with, but the flavor base with all that boysenberry was, was really cool. They did a lot of really fun and smart concoctions. Well, I'm just reading through this list of things to try out at the uh, at the Boysenberry Festival and things like boba tea. That would make sense. A boysenberry coconut macaroon. Okay, I I would see that. I think the macaroon is the only thing I did not have. That seems like a known quantity. I mean, you kind of know what you're going to get. It's when you get into the boysenberry hummus that you you know you start thinking, well, how is that possible? How can that started out almost like a frosting at first because of the, the texture. Um, and you get you get the berry first, and then you start getting the tahini and the garbanzo bean, and it starts finishing more like a hummus. But that was everything was incredibly well thought thought out. The pierogies, uh, Nibs is from Canada, and so he grew up loving these these pierogies. And it's not it's not something easy to find really actually in Southern California. You can find them. But, uh, but not they're not going to be easy. done well? Yeah. Well, no. You can find some great ones, but you just don't find them often. And these were not only fun and and whimsical with, with the boysenberry edition, but they were stunning. You would have loved them. They had a great uh, cheddar, sharp cheddar and uh, potatoes on the inside. It also says they're served with a side of applewood bacon, sautéed onions, sautéed boysenberries, and sour cream. All mm-hmm. that sounds great. Mm-hmm. And it worked. I mean, that was that was one of the things that because I, I joke about when I do the show, I don't get to eat as much as people think I do because you're doing a show right. or drink <laughs> as much as you think because uh, you're doing a show. But that was one of the ones that I kept going back to. And I'll just have a little bit more because they, it was really fantastic. I was blown away by the food. Uh, the boysenberry short rib also sounds good because it just seems to be the sweetness of whatever uh, – Whatever the boysenberry is going to bring to it would make sense with something like a short rib. Yeah, absolutely. There was some uh, that and the um, uh, the baby back ribs as well. I mean, it makes sense. You can hit that with some pepper, like they did on the baby back, and you you it will combat that uh, the sweetness and it worked out really nice. All those were hits and really smart, but n- nothing looked like amusement park food. Yeah, nothing. There was this this one creation called the Fun Bun, which, of course, which, of course, I replied that was my nickname in prison. However, (laughs) I will tell you, the Fun Bun is a huge cinnamon roll with icing and everything on it dipped in funnel cake batter, deep fried, then powdered sugar put on top and then a boysenberry uh, frosting slash syrupy. Like a glaze, you glaze, Ooh, yeah, yeah. That that also was one of those things where you took one bite and you said, "I'm this, I'm done." Can I get boysenberries at the store? Yeah, you can buy boysenberries. Um, they're they're seen them. I, I think they're hyper seasonal too. Oh, that would make sense. That's I think they're hyper seasonal. They're pretty delicate. They don't ship real well, and uh, so 
you know, you, you don't find them all over the place. But, yeah, they're seasonal and you can find them. I, I've heard that they've made other strains of them called the new Newberry or something that are a little more robust or, you know, less delicate. I awesome. Guess. Well, thank you very much. Thank you, buddy. Neil Savage with The Fork Reporter. Don't forget, tomorrow on The Gary and Shannon Show, comedian, actor, author, Louis Anderson's going to be in. That's going to be an absolute blast. From baskets. <laughs> Gary and Shannon will continue. Uh, we'll see you tomorrow, actually. John and Ken up next. Stay dry, everybody. Did you have an awesome time? Did you drink awesome shooters and listen to... Gary and Shannon. And then just sit around and soak up each other's pockets.